I want to welcome all of you to our podcast, From My Kitchen Table, which is both inspired and created by our successful and award-winning Women Create magazines. For those of you who do not know me, I am Jo Packham, a small-town homegrown girl who had no big dreams of being the creator and editor-in-chief of your magazines, Where and What Women Create, among which we have profiled over 745 women from around the world in over 265 books and magazines. I am so thankful that you are here joining us today. Our podcast, which is for and all about you, will be coming to you weekly. So please listen on your platform of choice. The guests we have are visionaries who consist of artists, designers, foodies, and entrepreneurs each taking us through the ups and the downs of living a creative life. I will be introducing you to those in our industry, some well-known and some you have never met. These women have crafted amazing works of imagination, transformed cooking and baking into an art form, built successful businesses, inspired entire communities, and each has a story to tell of perseverance and triumph that will help each of us on our own personal journey. So welcome to From My Kitchen Table. This is the place to come together, to learn, and to share the passion, the process, the inspiration, the wisdom, and the journeys of living a creative life. I have been in this industry for 44 years, and along the way, I have met some amazing women and made some very special friends. And today, as a guest on my show, is one of those who is both a very special woman, entrepreneur, leader, and what I would consider a good friend. Her name is Kai Nassauer, creator of Lived In Style, author, editor, event producer, passionate about all things vintage. Kai has been dubbed the Martha Stewart of vintage and media coverage from varied sources such as the Wall Street Journal, NBC's Today, and HGTV. She has gained a loyal and engaged audience with nearly 220,000 followers on social media. Kai has crafted a career from vintage since 1999, scouring antique shops, flea markets, salvage yards, and the occasional street side pile of castoffs for objects to create decor that is functional, beautiful, and unique. One of Kai's joys is connecting with a vast national network of vintage and antique aficionados dealers, artisans, and people who simply love vintage and repurposing. She was able to nurture and broaden that connection in her nine years as editor of Flea Market Style magazine. In 2006, Kai founded the vintage shopping extravaganza Junk Bonanza in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Junk Bonanza showcases wares from handpicked dealers nationwide and attracts 15,000 attendees. As creator of Lived In Style online magazine, Kai continues to share her passion for all things old and authentic while chronicling the beauty and utility of the vintage-inspired life. Kai is currently working on her new book for Ryland Peters and Small, which will be available spring 2023. Born and raised in Minnesota, now living in Los Angeles, Kai is a proud mother and friend to her two grown children with whom she enjoys touring neighboring vineyards and chowing down at local restaurants. She is thrilled to be Kiki to three grandchildren. Kai, welcome to From My Kitchen Table. It is so fun to see you and such an honor to have you as a guest. I'm excited to be here, Joe. It's really, it's really an honor to be on your podcast and um, speak with all your followers. Again, <laughs> we, do have, we do have followers, you know? I was surprised when they said, when they wanted me to do a podcast, I'm like, no way, I'm not doing that. And now because of all of you, all of our guests, they are doing really, really well. So thank you for helping us get the word out about every everyone, right? All of us who have worked together all these years. Well, and I was most excited to hear that it was a podcast and I didn't have to put makeup on this morning. So. <laughs> yes, there, there are advantages to everything. <laughs> well, like I said, and like you said in your bio, we go back a pretty long ways. When I, when I bring on the old friends, I always try to remember where we met. 
And, you know, I can't remember. I remember where we met. We met at a flea market in Denver, Colorado, uh, Holly Coons, Old Glory. And it was so much fun. You were, you are my hero. I heard you speak to women in a group. We had a luncheon and you spoke with, you stood up and you talked for, I don't know, a really long time. And it was so entertaining and so exciting. And I was like, oh, someday I want to be just like Joe. <laughs> Oh my God. It was, no, it was, I was super impressed at the time. And of course, to this day, we've become friends and you're still my hero. You are very, very gracious. And um, I think what's nice about this community is that we are all each other's heroes, right? We all do things well in our own venue, but we couldn't do it without the help of each other. We make each other look good, feel good, be proud of what we've accomplished. It, it is an asset of this community that I hope we never lose. I agree. It's a community of women. It's a community of vintage and art. And they all kind of go together really well. They're perfect together, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. The guys too. We'll, we'll let them. Just, just a few every once in a while sprinkled in, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so our audience, I'm sure the vast majority of them recognize your name and know what you've done along the way, but I am going to let you start kind of at the beginning and give a little bit more detail because when you're an outsider looking in, things change and move from one to the other, your magazine to your to Junk Bonanza, to all the things that you've done, but you you have a disconnect in the middle because you know not everything's published. You don't know everything about everybody. So I'm gonna let you fill in, start at the beginning and fill in some of the missing spaces for some of our listeners. Well, I have a very long history. I started <laughs> when I was 19. I opened a <laughs> women's retail clothing store, believe it or not. Right out I of did not know that. <laughs> I did. And what you don't know is I had my stores, multiple stores in multiple cities for 25 years. So I was a retail person. I dressed up and went to the mall and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. It was really uh, a part of my life that was fun, but then became very hard. It was just about the time when... Um, all the chain stores started to open up and the department stores were letting people return everything. And I just couldn't compete. So I was over it. I ended up closing my stores and I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, 25 years into my career and it was kind of over. So for two years, I, every morning I'd get up and say, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to be? Who, who am I? You know, I went through this, <laughs> this huge struggle, which I now know that a lot of people go through that sometimes early in their careers, sometimes late in their careers, but I, I tried different things. I designed baby or crib bedding for Eddie Bauer, which they no longer actually have crib bedding. Um, if you're a grandma, you know that. <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> yes, no bumpers. No, yeah, it's a whole different deal. I started a hand-painted ceramics line. So I had a crew of painters and we were painting, hand-painting ceramics for uh, department stores and catalogs. I, I was, but none of it really was that fulfilling. And I was kind of stressing out because, you know, I had to make an income to help support our family. But then this is where women came into my picture. I went to a dinner, girlfriend's, you know, birthday club dinner. And someone there said, have you been to this shop out in Buffalo, Minnesota? And I was like, no, tell me about it. And she went on to explain it was a vintage shop. It only opened once a month. And I decided to visit. I loved, I always loved vintage, but I hated retail. So the idea of doing my own was like, oh my God, I cannot go back. <laughs> Although this was the kind of retail I could really get excited about. There were no returns. Everything was final sale. There was no price competition because it was all one of a kind and they couldn't go to the next store and compare. It was fun. I didn't have to dress up and 
I could work whatever days I wanted to. I could set my own hours. It wasn't dictated by a mall that said you have to be open 362 days of the year. Um, or it was just, it honestly, it sounded like something I could do. So uh, I went home and told my husband that I was going to open this vintage shop. And he said, oh, okay, that kind of sounds like up your alley. And I'm going to open for three days. And he said, what? I said, yeah, three days a month. That's it. And he freaked out. It was like, who you cannot stay in business by, you know, opening your doors three days a month. Well, I convinced him that I could. <laughs> so I rented a warehouse. I got a trailer and a a truck and I went out shopping and had the best time of my life. It was so much fun. I filled out a filled up a warehouse with junk, vintage, salvage, you name it. And um, I opened my doors with the help of family and hockey mom friends. And the lines were so long. They went around the block. It was just <laughs> wild. Now this was like in, you know, 1999 when it was kind of a novel idea. I wasn't the first, but I was among the first and it was literally a blast. So what was the name of your store? It was called Junk Market. And, and actually uh, my son came up with the name when I was trying to come up with the idea of what are we going to call it? You know, it has to do with junk. And so it was, we called it junk market. And then, and what city was it in? This was in Long Lake, Minnesota. I had no idea. I have, yeah, I've learned so much. Okay. I think I still haven't come into your life yet. So continue. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Okay. okay. <laughs> so then Country Home Magazine heard about junk market and decided to come do a little article on us. And when uh, they were there, they thought, hmm, this is, this is new and interesting. They um, had focus groups to find out what people thought of the word junk. Um, they, you know, because at the time they had really been all about antiques, right. which, you know, the market was pretty, it was all about antiques. It was a hundred years old or it wasn't you know, permissible in the magazine. So they found out actually the editor, uh, head editor at the time, Carol Sheen was really, really, um, I would say, you know, she was really had a lot of foresight to go ahead with a cool junk column. So I produced projects for that cool junk column for the next few years and it became really popular. Uh, and that was kind of my first step into the magazine business. I didn't write the columns. I just made the junk. You know, we would I, I actually our most popular, which if people know me, they probably remember the garden chandelier, which was made out of vintage garden fencing. And I wired on old telephone pole insulators and filled it with candles or flowers. And it was kind of the the iconic uh, symbol for the shop at the time. And um, so the projects became kind of what I was known for and what I loved. I learned how to use tools, which everyone needs to know how to use, uh, you know, a power drill and they really need to know how to use tools and how to wire lamps. So I learned all of that. All of this is learning as you go sort of thing. Right. Um, and then I think somewhere around that time, you and I met. That sounds about right. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, um, I was having these sales, uh, you know, once a month and it was becoming too hard because we were doing the country home column and um, just things were starting to blow up. So we decided to bring in vendors. So we brought in like 12 vendors for our, one of our sales and realized that was going to be the way to go because to fill an entire warehouse, it was 7,000 square feet. To oh my fill, <laughs> yeah, I know it was crazy. And most of the stuff we brought in, we either had to clean or fix or repurpose. So it, you know, the 
20 some days a month, we were shopping and fixing and cleaning and, but it was such a fun time. It was so much fun with all the women every day at the end of the day, it was actually all women. And then our sons our hockey boys, um, who we made do the heavy lifting. And then, yeah, we were the cleaner and the cleaners and the painters. And, but at the end of each day, we'd get together and just kind of talk about what we did today. And, we have a glass of wine or two. Uh, it was super, super fun. Um, but since we uh, brought in new vendors, we started to call our event Junk Bonanza. Oh. So that's how Junk Bonanza started with, you know, 12 vendors. And as it grew, we moved to several different venues and it ended up at Canterbury Park in Shakopee, Minnesota with 150 vendors. Uh, vendors and over 15,000 attendees every show. And it went to just two times a year at that point. Since then, I sold it to one of my very good friends uh, when, after I moved to California and decided the travel was getting to be too much. But um, during the course of all of this, the way I actually got into the real magazine business was I called a publisher in New York because I wanted free magazines for Junk Bonanza. I wanted to give them away to the you know, attendees. And I just randomly called this group and they said, well, we don't have any free magazines, but would you be interested in doing a magazine for us? And I was like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to do a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, like I've made projects for a magazine, but I, well, I didn't tell them that, but you know, it was kind of like, I can learn as I go. I learned how to use, you know, a power drill and I learned how to use a chop saw and I could learn how to produce a magazine. Right. Right. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I said, yes. And, um, a friend of mine, Matthew Mead was really great about um, saying, I'll help you out. We, you know, we can figure this out together. So we muddled through our first issue. And I guess it was a success because then they decided to continue. So that was flea market style. And flea market style, then I was uh, lead editor for 10 years almost. Yeah. So it was a, a long and exciting road where I met so many great people, writers and photographers and creators. And oh, it was so much fun. So during the 10 years when you were doing Flea Market Style, the magazine, you were also doing Junk Bonanza, right? Yeah. Yes. And then, and to fill the pages of the magazine, you were visiting antique shows around the country. I was, I was, I, I was, you know, I've been to most antique shows, large antique shows. Um, and a lot of times signing magazines, a lot of times just shopping, um, the farther the way they were for me, the, um, less I could bring home, <laughs> which is a good thing. Um, but I met so many wonderful people, dealers and show producers. And yes, I went everywhere. So you were on the road a lot for 10 years then traveling, writing, buying, overseeing all those kinds styling. of styling. I learned how styling. to style too. Yeah, of course, of course, there's that. I don't always learn as you go. You know, which is really a good lesson for all of the listeners who are a little bit younger and those of us who are a little bit older, because a lot of us are changing our careers again, right? Mm -hmm. And we have kind of forgotten that there are things that we need to learn as we go and not to be intimidated by that entire concept. It doesn't really matter whether you're 30 or 70, you can still learn lots of new things and add a new perspective. I totally agree with that. And um, if I had to take a class or go to school for everything I learned along the way, you know, I would have never got out the door. <laughs> <laughs> and that you would have, have never opened. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I would recommend to anyone considering starting their own business is to take a course in accounting. That would have, you know, saved me a lot of time and money. 
and accounting, you know, a business class. That would have been the one class that I regret not having. Um, and learn how to use tools. Definitely learn how to use, and learn how to back up a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know how to back up a trailer. <laughs> it's, it's tricky, although I could usually back up a trailer pretty well in the Midwest, but now that I live in Los Angeles, just parking my car is like... <laughs> Challenge enough. Okay, so tell us all, because I'm curious too. I mean, I love vintage. Um, I think everybody in this community has a passion for vintage in one form or another. But tell us if it has or how it has changed over the years. Well, when I started, you know, 20 some years ago, there were antique shows and there were antique shops. But there wasn't a lot of what is considered vintage. Um, it, dealers and um, shops were pretty much purists in antique. There was a lot of maybe fear of people coming in with products that weren't true antiques. Now, antiques is considered 100 years or older. Vintage is whatever you want it to be because <laughs> Etsy <laughs> says 20 years, I think. Um, I always say 40 years, but that's just something I've made up. Um, Good enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of um, friction between the antique dealers whose business was actually slowing at the time. Oak was not selling, you know, expensive items were not selling. And here comes, you know, the younger generation that had vintage, you know, and it was like 50 years old and it was from the seventies or, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of a struggle, I think for show producers, because they needed vintage dealers to literally bring customers in the door. Uh, so eventually antique dealers realized that they needed to go along. They, need, they needed the customers, they needed the attendees and it helped everyone um, to, and I think the same is true for art and uh, craftspeople are now have joined shows and shops, which at the time it was like, if it's not antique, you know, it's not going to work. If it's not antique and vintage, it's not going to work. And then it's like, oh, well, this helps to have, you know, some art and crafts added to the show. So now we have this, this wonderful combination that appeals to a even broader market. For a while, um, vintage got pretty rough around the edges. I mean, it was really vintage. I mean, it was, I, I don't like to word, use the word junk, but it, it was junk, but we all loved it. I mean, I had a household yeah. and, and um, we used it in the magazines really a lot. And we featured people who our number one category was vintage or junk in the right. studios and how they used it and everything. And then it seems to me that it started to change. Like my daughter's generation, she's 46 and she doesn't like vintage. She doesn't want anything vintage and she doesn't like things that are cluttered, right? I mean, it's that right. pretty, you know, I hate to say this out loud, but that pottery barn kind of sleek, you know, clean finish. And so, you know, did that, was the, I guess my question is, was the, audience big enough that even though the newer generation wasn't adapting to it as much, were there enough of us in the previous generation that it held pretty strong? Um, I think it held strong, but I also think the it changed. So whereas when people were first excited about it, it was pretty chippy and crusty and, and rough, as you would say, around the edges. But then it became more refined in look, um, whether that be a um, later model item, you know, that um, was stainless steel and glass or, uh, you know, a more finished looking um, dresser that wasn't all dinged up. 
And um, it also became more curated. So that's where, and that's where we are today. Like um, it's a more of a curated vintage. It's not just a bunch of stuff sitting on a counter um, or, you know, on a sideboard. It's a really a beautiful object that is a focal point to a vignette. Um, it is a collection that's beautifully displayed. It is, it's just really become more refined. Oh, interesting. I think you're right. When I think about that now, I think because in all, like on your online magazine and other uh, publications that I read, there's still a lot of vintage, but you're right. That is the difference. It's, it's in the middle of, it's not all vintage. It's not, you don't walk into a room that's completely vintage anymore. It's curated among other styles. And, and it's mixed um, with new. Uh, I remember the biggest question I got from customers when I had the shop was how I can't bring this home. It won't look good with my new stuff. You know, how do I mix it in that people were just, you know, totally confused by how to go about decorating and mixing new with old. But I think as um, the vintage became a little more refined or as we, we realized we could isolate it within the home, the mix started you know, looking good and people were in, intrigued by mixing new with old. So now you might see a room that has a beautiful new sofa with lovely fabric, but you know, the coffee table might be super rustic. It makes sense. A lot of the things that go along with it, the rugs, the textiles, all of that has kind of helped to blend the two as well. That's very true. Okay, so let's talk about clothing for a minute, vintage clothing, because you don't always remember things the way they actually were. You remember them because of what you were focused on. And when I went to Junk Bonanza and, and um, Round Top and Brimfield and all those kinds of things, places and events, I was always never focused on clothing. I was always focused on furniture or right. decorative items and things like that. But do you think, I was watching a special the other day and they said that recycled, upcycled vintage clothing is actually right now in the middle of the perfect storm because one, with global warming and the environment, clothing manufacturers are some of the worst offenders yes. of, of garbage. And we all, they are producing too many clothes. We're buying too many clothes. And the sites now that are exploding, I saw this whole um, uh, special on, you know, like um, real, real, these sites that are reselling all the clothes and the vintage ones are in there, right? Some of the older clothes are really in there. So do you think clothing right now is, is having an explosion like vintage furniture did in the beginning of Junk Bonanza? Uh, I think absolutely. You know, my daughter-in-law shops and sells on different sites all the time. And it's, you'll be at her house and almost she'll, she'll just post an item and ding, it's gone. Ding, it's gone. You know, her her phone keeps going off and she's selling stuff like crazy. But yes, because of for several reasons. One, because a lot of the stuff is considered fashion forward, even though, you know, it's from way back. And I think vintage, you know, because when, when I first got into the business, you know, 20 some years ago, vintage clothing meant like old fuddy duddy antique, you know, like stupid looking dresses and you, and know, you aprons, right yeah, and, yeah, and you, yeah and you couldn't move in them and you could you know they just they didn't have you know any stretch in the fabrics and and then when it was vintage clothing that was maybe from the 70s and from the 80s and and you know even 90s it just became you know more appealing to the people that are buying it now plus with online shopping that's like a whole nother part of the scenario so that is you know when people can just sit in their living rooms and purchase clothes online why not my as, as a matter of fact my 
daughter-in-law showed me a picture of these cute little hot pink corduroy um, overalls she bought for, the, for my one-year-old granddaughter. And I know my daughter owned those, you know, <laughs> I know I put those on my daughter, you know, 30 some years ago. And it was so fun to see that, you know, they are, and she just bought them online. So do you think they're selling as much furniture online as they are clothing? Or do you think it's mostly online, it's mostly clothing centered or small pieces centered? Um, well, I think furniture is tough because of shipping. Right. You know, so I think a lot of the furniture is selling when it's in your area. So Facebook Marketplace and, you know, even Etsy will say is, you know, pick up in your area sort of thing for the larger pieces. Um, but small pieces, of course, is selling quickly because you can search so easy. I use Etsy a lot and I'm able to, if I'm looking for, you know, a, a coffee cup that's uh, you know, is a retro coffee cup with a specific logo or whatever, I can just, you know, type it in and all of a sudden 20 of them pop up. <laughs> I mean, before I would have to travel the country and hope to find one. So, oh, <laughs> so technology has really helped, you know, sourcing for sure. So um, when you talk about our generation, which is a little bit older, like I'm a little bit older. <laughs> Okay, a little bit older, older. Yeah. <laughs> I refuse to say a lot older, but I really do feel sorry for this generation shopping online, which is much easier. I get yeah. it and much less expensive, but you, you don't get the thrill of going into the junk stores and seeing the displays and moving the furniture around and imagining what it looks like and sharing it with a group of women because we usually a lot of times it was our entertainment right well, and meeting the people that's probably right. the biggest thing you miss online I mean uh, vendors online vendors do a good job of sending little thank you notes and writing something personal but honestly the best part of shopping for vintage and antiques is walking in and talking to people. You know, they, everyone has a story, whether it's about what you're interested in or just about, you know, our community in general. It's just, so you do miss that. So you have to do both. Um, when when I, I buy all my groceries online. Oh dear. And... <laughs> People are like, I can't believe you do that. You know, don't you want to squish the grapes? And, you know, why don't you want to smell the whatever? And I don't. And I rarely talk to people at grocery stores. So I don't feel like I'm missing that, um, that contact there. But I do definitely feel like I miss it when I'm shopping for vintage. Because it, it was amazing how, um, how you could walk into a store and with a group of women and not see a lot of things and then leave with a lot of things that they convinced you were your new favorite things. <laughs> and that's why you sell them online now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, I find it funny when you shop with uh, a group of people, everyone has something different that they like. So, you know, I'll say, come here, come here, come here, come see this. It's so cute. You know, and my friend will walk over and she'll look at it and like, are you kidding me? Oh, oh, that's really nice. You know, it's like, we all like something different. So I find that I have to really shop alone. I go with the group and we say, we'll meet at the entrance at, you know, in two hours or whatever, but I'm, I'm a lone wolf shopper. I want to talk to the dealers and the vendors and, you know, but I don't want to look at my friends, you know, favorite things. <laughs> It's because you're you're so good at what you do. I would consider oh, yeah. you an expert among experts on <laughs> on all things vintage and junk related. So let's talk about. So you did Junk Bonanza. You did the magazine. As with all of us, all those things come to an end. Usually, you know, for sometimes through our own choice, sometimes through events like COVID that ended a lot of things for a lot of us. Yes, yes. And, and so, but now you are doing what I think is everybody's dream, 
without exception, and that is to write a book. Everybody wants to be an author and write a book. Yeah, I, um, you know, 20 years ago, or actually I think it was about 15 years ago, I did act, write a book um, with a co-author and it was, it was hard. It was really, really hard. And I resisted over the years of doing that because I was so busy with everything else. I started an online magazine, uh, lived in style, which people can visit for sure. Um, and I kept saying, oh, I'm not going to write a book. And then as my life started to slow and I sold Junk Bonanza and I'm not doing the, mag the, the print magazine any longer, I thought, well, maybe... <laughs> Maybe I'll think about it, you know, and, and not knowing how hard it is to get a book published, of course, these days. So I um, decided to take my lived in style concept and approach um, a publisher. And oh my gosh, they said yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? You know, it's like, now what do I do? <laughs> oh, I have to actually do it. <laughs> I was kind of thinking maybe they would there'd be some pushback and um but no uh they said go for it so I um I I've had the it's it's pretty easy turning a magazine concept into a book concept um you do similar things you know it involves photography and writing and you know it's pretty similar to doing a magazine. You're dealing with writers, you're dealing with photographers, you're dealing with homeowners, you're dealing with stylists. I mean, it's sort of the same thing, only the best part is it's going to be on pretty white paper and it's going to be beautiful. And my daughter, my daughter said, why are you doing this mom? Why are you doing a book? Um, she says, is it for the money? And I said, no. Although that would be nice. Um, she said, well, it's a lot of work. And I said, I know. She says, why are you doing it that? I said, because I can finally have pretty white paper again. <laughs> As Joe knows, you know, you have pretty white paper in your magazine. I do. But, you know, my magazine, the paper was getting more and was getting thinner and thinner and more yellow. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't have as good of a publisher that spent the money to, you know, put it into a beautiful piece. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to have something that will sit on people's coffee tables and um, inspire people. Okay, so tell our listeners, because like I said, everybody wants to write a book. Tell them the process. You you approach a publisher when? Um, I'm going to say four months ago, five months ago. So I worked on a proposal that here's what it's, here's what I'm thinking, you know, and I put pretty pictures in and wrote, you know, talked about the concept and why I think it would sell and all of that. I researched a lot of um, home decor books to see what was out there to make sure I wasn't, you know, jumping into something that there was too much of, or it was, uh, it was overdone. And um, I actually approached two publishers. One publisher said, nah, we don't think so. Um, and at the same time, the other publisher said, yes. Um, it took a while for them to get back to me. But once they did, it went super fast. Um, you know, we went through contracts and it's been fairly painless so far. I was expecting it to be worse, but I think maybe because I've worked in magazines, I had that experience and knew what they were going to ask of me before they asked it. They asked for a really short timeline. It was like, oh, we'd like, you know, photographs done in three months and we'd like writing done in four months. And it's going to, you know, you need to finish it by here. It's going to be released in the spring of 2023. Well, congratulations. Um, yeah. So 
everyone will be able to pre-order it, you know, at some point. I'm not sure when they put pre-orders out. We've photographed all our homes as of last this last weekend. And um, now the writing begins. I've interviewed all the homeowners and writing begins. And then we have to obviously uh, do captions and acknowledgements. I'm so afraid. The biggest fear for me in doing this entire book is I'm going to miss someone. I'm not going to say thank you to somebody in on the acknowledgement page. So I've already started a list. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> I thank my second grade teacher for teaching me, you know, <laughs> for setting me on the in the right direction. Okay, so let's talk about the photo shoots. You have to do a series of, I would say, different regions, different kinds of homes, different as many. Uh, as large a variety as you possibly can. Did you go on every photo shoot? I did not, but I was on it in um, spirit. I actually, the photographer that um, I use, uh, Edmund Barr, who is amazing, and I've worked with him for more than 10 years, uh, he was on the photo shoots. Um, he would text me photos all day long saying, well, we're thinking about moving this here and we want to put this here. What do you think of this angle? So I was sort of there kind of, um, but uh, budgets didn't allow for me to travel to all the locations since travel has become so expensive. I know it's crazy, but we have homes in all four parts of the country, the East Coast, the West Coast, South and Midwest. Uh, and what's exciting about lived in style is it really includes all design genres. It's not just cottage or it's not just contemporary or it's not just traditional. It's all of the above. The criteria is that it has to be easygoing, laid back, embrace curated vintage and be personal and unique to the homeowner. So our houses are so diverse that that's what makes me most exciting. I mean, every house is so different and so one of a kind, have you, uh, that everyone's going to love, you know, or have their favorite house in the book, but everyone's going to love the vintage and appreciate and be inspired by what these homeowners have created in their spaces. So how did you find the homes? Um, a lot of it is networking. You know, I ask a dealer that I like, you know, if I like his merch, his or her merchandise, do you have any, you know, customers that you think might have a good home? Um, Instagram, huge, you know, and I know most magazine editors now are finding people through Instagram, um, you know, really, really networking and, um, and, you meet so many wonderful people that way too. You know, I'm on D, um, Instagram was a DM or direct messages saying, I really like your house, you know, <laughs> can you show me more? <laughs> and all of a sudden you meet this wonderful person. So it's been a really, really a fun journey. So the book was, the idea for the book was created from your online magazine, correct? Exactly. Okay, so I want, I, I take your online magazine. I am a member. Yay, yay. I, well, yes, I love it. I wouldn't miss it. So let's um, tell the audience, the listeners about your online magazine and when you started that and what that looks like to you and to me as the reader and how they become involved either as just a viewer or submitting uh, their home or their ideas to the magazine. When I left the print world, I decided I wanted to do another magazine and I thought, oh, I'll just do my own print magazine only to find out that, oh, wow, <laughs> that wasn't going to happen with my finances. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so I opted for obviously um, an online magazine, which um, at first I was like, how is this going to go over? Because I was so used to print. Um, and then realized that at least I could uh, eliminate ads for the reader, um, make it beautiful and cohesive. And, you know, obviously it's a niche uh, for people that like vintage. And uh, so I went about creating a lived in style magazine. Um, it has currently has more than 300 stories 
with beautiful images along with each story. It has homes, it has projects, it has entertaining, it has backyards, it has you know a little bit of everything, but ev every um, story or article includes vintage of some sort. Um, the photographs are beautiful. We also have a lot of collectors. People submit can submit through the website um, under, uh, or they can, you know, DM me through Instagram, um, ideas for stories. The main thing is that they have to have the photographs to go along with it. So, I mean, it's a very visual site. So for people that like to see beautiful pictures, um, it's a great place to um, be. Uh, memberships are monthly and um, we do a free newsletter once a month that people can sign up for as well if they're not quite ready to um, become a member of the magazine. So that's something people can consider too. It's uh, livedinstyle.com and um, it's been really great. And the best part is when you edit, like if you make a mistake, you can go back and change it. <laughs> it's not in print forever. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that I'm worried about the, the book. And, oh my gosh. And most people don't even notice that you've edited it. But somehow yeah. when you make a mistake in print, everybody notices, right? Oh my gosh. The other day I sent out a newsletter to, I don't know, 20 some thousand people. And I said, my new book is coming spring of 2022. <laughs> And my friend emailed me and said, um, I think you made a mistake. <laughs> oh, 2023. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let me fix that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Kai, we have to bring from my kitchen table to an end. I would love our listeners to hear your stories all day long. You have done so much in the industry and are so delightful to work with and you're intuition for junk and vintage is unparalleled. So I want to thank you for coming on from my kitchen table, but there are two things that I always do at the end of every show. And one is, do you have a secret that not very many people know that you will share with our listeners? Well, maybe people know it now, but <laughs> I never went to college. I never I even applied to college. And I dropped out of vocational fashion merchandising after three days. <laughs> so I don't think it's a great idea for everyone to go that route, but I think in some way or another, you can learn as you go. Well, I think that's a trait of really successful, really creative entrepreneurs, because when you go to established institutions like college and all those kinds of places, they are a bit confining and they have their um, way of doing things. And for entrepreneurs and creative people, it is often sometimes very inhibiting and very stifling. Uh, so yeah. And if you're like me, I, I was honestly, I just, you know, they didn't know how at fashion merchandising school, they just didn't know how to put the pins in right. You know, I just... <laughs> Like, what are you talking about? It's, I, I had a hard time with, yeah, with, um, what do you call that? Uh, yeah, I had a hard time learning from. Well, I, I understand that. Okay. And so the other thing that I always ask is I think words, because we're publishers and because you're writing a book and all the things we've done, words are so important. And I think it's very difficult to say, something very profound in very few words, which is why I love quotes and greeting cards because everybody has a favorite one or a series of favorite ones. And it speaks volumes about who you are as a person. So will you share one of your favorite quotes with the audience? My all-time favorite quote is, the more you know, the more you know, you don't know. I love that. I have never heard that. <laughs> I'm not sure I, who to attribute it to, but it is really how I live my life. You know, it's, yeah, it's a great quote. 
Uh, it is a great quote, and especially in today's world, because, you know, you and I are experts at events, magazines, traveling, but this whole new computer online world is something <laughs> that I know so little about that it sometimes is overwhelming. I'm so impressed by the fact that you have an online magazine. I mean, I think that is so impressive because it's just too big of a, a jump for me. Are you kidding? <laughs> You're amazing. Are you kidding? <laughs> You're I, I to, remember? <laughs> I had to hire somebody to do it. So you're actually doing yours. I mean, yeah, I had yeah. to go out of my comfort zone and go to people who are experts because I, 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 I didn't even know how to start. I, it was just way over my head and I'm not very involved in it actually in the online. I still just deal with the print part. So I so admire what you've done and how beautiful it is and how you've carried all over all you know into new concepts all along the way. All Has it been 25 years? Is that what you said? Um, I started the vintage business in 1999. So what, 23 years? Yeah. 23 years. Well, congratulations, Missy. You, are, you can consider you, yourself you. a huge success. The only disappointment that I have during our podcast from the kitchen table is when our time is over for today. It is such an honor for me to be able to create a moment for each of us to be together to share our stories. I can promise you, and you can trust me, no matter how easy these guests make the journey appear, it wasn't. They each started by taking the first step, together and alone, frightened and inspired, ready or not, each one moving ever forward, simply doing what they love to do, and that is create. Because we are a community which is based on our support of one another, please remember to leave a review. Leave a review not only for these magazines, but for each other. It is a small investment of your time and yet an enormous gift to each of our guests that are working so very hard to be the best they can be in their chosen field. If you have any questions or want to know more, please visit womencreate.com. As you know, I am a lover of quotes, and to end this chapter of From My Kitchen Table, I want to share my favorite quote with you, and that is, I love each of you and all of you with a thousand hearts. Until our next From My Kitchen Table, stay safe, keep notes, and take lots of pictures. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. You're lovely, and you know, we'll have to have a nice uh, get-together phone coffee date soon. Anytime. You can call me anytime. We have a million things to talk about. <laughs> it has been a delight to see you again. It has been an honor to have you on my From My Kitchen table. And I want to encourage everybody to watch for your book and to become members of your magazine. It is truly a place to go to be inspired and just brings a great deal of joy. Thank you.